Welcome to the Voices of Aging podcast, where you learn more about aging through experts. We are the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group, or ASIC, a student-led collaborative organization for the study of aging at the University of Minnesota. Every episode, we feature guests working in different aging-related areas, and they share their experiences and wisdom. We release two episodes every month, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in to learn more about aging every time you hit play. This is Madeline with the Voices of Aging podcast. Today, our guest is Dean Lambert. Dean is the leader of the Love Always Project, which we are going to learn all about in this episode. Hi, Dean. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you inviting me on, and it's great to be here. Thank you. So firstly, um, we're here to talk about your project, the Love Always Project. What is it? Well, the Love Always Project is, I like to think of it as a grassroots effort, a movement to destigmatize talking about end-of-life issues. People are talking about it in very unstructured and sort of cavalier ways, you know, uh, when we hear in the media that a prominent person has died or uh, we hear about the tragic uh, school shootings or the tragedy of the um, uh, veteran suicide and things of that nature. Um, Social media and the internet and even mainstream media has provided a lot of fodder for thought and a lot of channels for people to sort of just make their feelings known. And there's not a whole heck of a lot of meaning that people are taking out of what they're thinking or saying in terms of their own mortality, no matter what age you might be, and really focusing on how, how healthy it is to really um, understand that eventually, it's not like we might die, we all are going to die, and constructive ways to not only think about you know re- relieving people of the burden of planning for your funeral or spending money on your funeral, but how to celebrate the way um, somebody might want to be celebrated and also uh, how to um, have conversations about end of life uh, without necessarily talking about death and dying. And so what we've done is we've created a a website and we're on social media and it's ever evolving. We just launched this year in 2022. So one of the first big things we did was create a forum and you know my goal would be to have the majority the vast majority of content on the site come from users people who belong to the movement because no ma- there's a ton of experts out there that'll tell you how to have a healthy discussion and you know that you should plan your funeral in advance or pay for your funeral in advance to relieve the burden but there's i think that because we don't buy or plan a lot of funerals like we do other products and services we really don't know how to do it. And so the best we can do is learn from people who have had the experience. And that's real people, not necessarily experts. Um, I'm friends with lots and lots of funeral professionals and lots and lots of financial advisors and lots of physicians who don't take their own medicine or walk the talk. You know, there are a lot of funeral directors don't have their funerals planned in advance. A lot of doctors are unhealthy. Um, a lot of financial advisors ignore their own portfolios or their own you know, advice sometimes. And so I think people who have gone through the experience for better or for worse, learning from them what they liked, what they didn't like, 
what they, uh, the struggles they had, the challenges they faced, learning from each other, I think is some of the best stuff we can do. And that will, that's going to take making sure there's a place to put conversations out so that people can make meaning for themselves about what it means for them so that they can have the best possible experiences, you know, on their own. I love the idea behind this project. And I think, you know, it's super important because a lot of people don't even know where to start with these kinds of conversations or don't even know if they should be having them. I'm curious where the name Love Always came from. We did a lot of research, um, not only in how to approach this project, but also in the naming of the project. And uh, many, uh, across all of the different demographics and life stages of people that we, um, we either talk to or we, uh, um, you know, lis- social listening is something that we did. We just went, you know, and looked at all kinds of websites and social media channels to kind of see what people, what people were saying. And uh, more often than not, the word love pops up. When you talk, when people talk about the fact that they've had a conversation or that they're visiting somebody in hospice or they're a caretaker and many folks who have done any amount of planning for their end of life, um, actually, we heard a common theme that the word love letter was often spoke. And uh, years ago, I even did a, a direct mail campaign for funeral homes that talked about um, uh, a prearranged funeral is like a love letter um, because it should be something that um, talks about, uh, you know, what it is that you want or have planned for f- your funeral and why the things that you included in it and the things that you wanted people to know about what you wanted was really a love letter and a tribute to the life and the people in that person's life. And so that's why we talked about a love always project. It's it's something that people will remember forever, especially when a death occurs and a family doesn't have to come together and um, potentially have arguments that they'll never recover from over money or what dad or mom might have wanted or might not have wanted. And um, it's interesting, even when um, there's a young person's death, our son um, passed away. Uh, He died of suicide six years ago. Uh, He was in the Marines and went to Afghanistan and came back and and, uh, stuck around for a year before things just got too bad. Um, and having to plan that, even with my wife and I both working in with funeral professionals on a daily basis, we were completely unprepared. There were some things that we knew that um, military people have to write, you know, and tell their families what needs to happen and what their preferences are uh, in case something happens to them. But it was definitely not, you know, a full, fully fledged plan. And we certainly uh, expected to help him pay for college or something or a wedding and not his funeral. Um, So it truly is a gift of love. And it's not something that we made up as a trite, you know, sloganeering type of thing. This actually came from what people think and feel uh, if they have an opportunity or if they've had the opportunity to plan uh, in advance, whether it's financial planning, funeral planning, um, you know, advanced directives, whatever. Thank you so much for sharing the story of your son. And I'm sure that has served as somewhat of an inspiration um, in this project. I'm curious to know more about your background and 
how you got involved in this field. Sure. It's, uh, you know, a lot of folks who aren't, who weren't born and raised in the funeral profession find themselves in this business by some happenstance. Um, I will try and make this short. I uh, grew up in a military family. Uh, my father was a very nomadic guy. And so I moved around a lot more than my, my friends did. I moved, uh, by the time I was 18, I had moved 18 or 19 times. And that's with staying in a couple places for, you know, more than a year. And so inside me, um, I always felt like I wanted to have a hometown. And I also always wanted to be a doctor. Um, when we finally, uh, when I finally got settled uh, at uh, in Nebraska, which was where my father's last uh, assignment was, uh, he took a job and moved with the rest of the family to Chicago. And I got deposited in Nebraska because I had uh, in-state tuition. And if I wanted help with college, I had to have in-state tuition. So that's where I stayed. And... Um, you know, um, uh, my advisor in school talked about the amount of uh, math and science you had to have. You have a bachelor of science often uh, to, to go down the, the med route. And I, I knew that while the body made a lot of sense to me and physiology made a lot of sense to me, that uh, some of the other things I had difficulty in in school probably would, you know, I would still have difficulty with. And so a friend of mine, you know, uh, sort of got me involved in the college radio station. And I always had the gift of gab and DJ, you know, I was the record spinner at parties and things like that when we had records. Um, and so I went down the broadcasting route, uh, worked at a radio station for many years. And oh, by the way, the kind of doctor I wanted to be was a small town doctor. Uh, back in the 80s and seven, uh, the 80s and 90s, there was a show called Northern Exposure where a young man um, went to medical school that was funded by a small town in Alaska. And uh, to pay them back, he had to come back to that small town and, and be the doctor. And I was like, I would love to do that. I would love to take people from cradle to grave and be um, a contributing member of a, of a community. And that's what appealed to me about being a town doc, you know. And when the doctor thing didn't happen, I went into broadcasting and, and um, you know, became a sort of a well-known person in that community as a broadcaster. But a friend of mine called up when I was on the air, a guy from college, and, and uh, he knew I had been writing commercials and, and doing things for the radio station. And we talked about starting an ad agency. About a year after we started, we got a call from a funeral home um, and they said, hey, we heard you guys do good work. Uh, we need your help. And I, we were both like, what? That's kind of weird. Funeral homes don't advertise. And honestly, the more I got involved in that business over about a year, I took on most of the work and I spent many, many hours in that funeral home, almost, you know, day and night. I went on uh, removals. Um, I learned about embalming. I mean, the funeral profession had almost everything I ever wanted. You know, you are ministering to a community. You are somebody who is uh, saving lives through death. You know, you're, there's a little bit of clinical in the embalming and restorative arts uh, side of things. And uh, one day, I, I, uh, after a couple of years of working with that firm, I asked the owner of the funeral home, I, I said, I think I want to be a funeral director. I want to go to school and become a funeral director. And he told me that, um, you know, he would ordinarily he would say, man, you got it. You should be here. I, you do go to school. You can apprentice here. I would love to have you work here. I mean, he was very enthusiastic. But then he said something else that was one of those moments in your life that kind of like my advisor telling me I needed 60 hours of math and science kind of set me on a path. This funeral director said, you know, what you've done to help us draw the curtains back on our business and engage people and make us the most recommended funeral home in the city, um, that's really helped us out. And this business needs that. 
And so I would support you and recommend you if you continue doing what you did and have and take that passion to the profession. And within another couple of years, I had uh, been serving a couple of hundred, maybe 250 funeral homes across the country. And I met with a, another company at a convention that was exhibiting like I was. And they said, hey, we like what you're doing. How would you like to do it for two or 3,000 funeral homes instead of two or 300? And I said, wow, um, now I have a platform to really help a lot of firms you know, find success helping people to talk more openly about um, more, their mortality and death and dying, and most important, having them prepare for it and plan for it in productive ways. And so that's how I got where I where I am today. I, I became the marketing officer for uh, this uh, company that provides funding through funeral homes for prearranged funerals. That company, um, uh, uh, a few years ago, the CEO and I got together and talked about starting this project to help you know, say in a consistent way, help provide messaging and engage people in a consistent way to discuss end of life issues, planning and um, grief and things like that. And so uh, that's how the Love Always Project got started. And uh, I'm happy to say that um, some of the ground rules that I set with the organization was that it was not going to be an e-commerce site, that we wanted it to be a movement. We wanted it to be grassroots. We wanted people who joined the movement to felt like that they were not only getting something out of it, but they were also doing something, um, joining with an, with an organization that had a purpose. And we have started a foundation called the Love Always Foundation, which we are just now formulating, you know, what it is as our vision and mission. What are we going to do when we, when we have money to spend? Um, how will we meet it out? How, you know, who will benefit from that? And most of all, how will our members take part in that, uh, you know, offering, you know, the service or financial support out without being, you know, asked to give money uh, because we do not want to tap into this group. What we expect from our audience is to participate vigorously and anonymously if they want in the discussion around end of life, what their thoughts are, what their experiences are, what their questions are and things like that. And it's it's been a great year so far and uh, it's only been helped by uh, people like you who are curious about what we're doing and give us an opportunity to talk about it. Long story short. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was great to hear your progression to this point. You talked about this a little earlier on in our conversation, but I am curious to learn more about your perspective. Why is it so important to discuss end of life and death with our loved ones while we still have the ability to? Well, you know, I can, that's a great question. That, that why question is great. And all I can do is I have my own opinion. Uh, that's something that I have been working on understanding as I've gone through my personal and professional journey is, you know, the old saying, do unto others as you would have them do unto you is, is, was always the golden rule. But I learned possibly too late in my professional and personal life that it's, there's really a platinum rule out there. And that's to learn, it's to do unto others as they want done to them. <laughs> and everybody is so individual that we don't know or understand what somebody wants until we have a conversation. And um, that's inspiring me in the Love Always Project. And so to answer your question, I can only turn to the research that I know we've done over the past 12 years. Every other year, we poll people who have um, planned and funded their uh, funeral arrangements through funeral homes. 
And uh, we asked what their motivators were, and we asked how satisfied they are and things like that. And so what I can tell you about why it's important is to say back to you why people tell us it's important. First of all, there's a lot of people out there that don't know they can even do it. And the biggest barrier to prearranging is, who do I call? How do I get started? Once a person finds out uh, that they uh, finds out it's available, um, it can take a year or two before something happens to make them do it. And typically, that is the death of a loved one or attending the funeral of a loved one or both. <laughs> and so that's the trigger for somebody to do it of any age, okay? Even though the average age has been around the early to mid-70s for about 30 years I've been in the business, that has not changed. And I'm not sure if your audience or you are aware of what's called a Medicaid spend down. But when a person needs to be put into assisted or long-term care, um, typically that organization uh, takes a look at your assets and takes those assets to sustain you. Uh, a funeral plan, spending part of your assets on a funeral plan before you do that is called a Medicaid spend down and a funeral plan qualifies for that. And so a lot of our, uh, a lot of the people that we see prearranging and funding, they pay for it all at once and they do it because they need to put some assets away to make sure their funeral's covered. Um, the younger a person is, the more uh, apt they are to do to pay for it and uh, over time, you know, three to five years. Um, and there's a lot of different programs that are available to do that, which I, I don't think is appropriate to get into right now because I don't want to promote any one or the other. But the funeral home is the place to go. So when we ask people how satisfied they are with prearranging and funding, 0% of those people tell us that they are not satisfied with their decision to do it. In fact, there's three uh, satisfied categories in the questions. There's they're completely satisfied, very satisfied, or fairly well satisfied. 4% are fairly well satisfied. And then the 96% that are left are completely to very well satisfied. And they tell us that they're so satisfied that within the months that since they did it, then when we asked the question, that 43% of them have already recommended it to somebody else. They've already told somebody else not only that they did it, but that some, that they should do it too. And another 37% plan to recommend it. 0% of the people say that they do, uh, say that they won't recommend it. So in other words, nobody says they wouldn't recommend it to others. They'd either consider it they're going to do it or they have done it. So if you know anything about business, if I'm a business owner, I want all of my customers customers to be so satisfied they did business with me that they become promoters of my business. And that's what you have with advanced funeral planning. When I tell people what I do, you know, if they ask me I'm on a plane or, you know, they, they I first meet them and they ask what I do and I tell them that I uh, work with funeral homes to help tell people about uh, advanced funeral planning and funding, nobody goes, ew, why would they do that? Everybody that I ever talk to wants to know more and usually says, I didn't know you can do that. And despite the fact that many, many people have life insurance or some sort of advanced directive or some sort of, you know, something in case they die. And that's the problem is everybody thinks in case they die, they don't think they're going to die. <laughs> and so no matter how many deaths are out there, no matter how many surprise deaths, you know, when Taylor Hawkins died from the Foo Fighters, I was surprised. When my son died, I was surprised. But yet every day you hear in the news that somebody died of old age, of, of suicide, of, of, you know, an accident, whatever it is, people will die. And so what we hope with the Love Always Project is that we can have people tell their stories um, about, you know, what compelled them to talk about, you know, end of life stuff with their folks 
or how they responded when their parents asked them a question about their end of life. And so that that people have permission to believe that it's something they should and can do, but not taking only the advice of experts or only what they read or only what they see in the news or, or read in other media. And so that's that's kind of the whole story uh, there is that, that the reasons why pre- people plan in advance are you know, just they vary by the individual. Uh, most often, they feel like that they have relieved burden off of their loved ones, whether it's a financial burden, an emotional burden. They feel like it's the smart thing to do and it's a right thing to do. These are the words of people who have done it. And that's what I talk about constantly because I have those reasons and more for prearranging my funeral. Even before I you know, got into doing what I'm doing, I knew that it was important that these are things that aren't left you know, unspecified or not discussed. I am curious, I would love to hear more about what pre-planning a funeral involves. Like what aspects of the funeral are um, you able to plan in advance? Like what does that look like? What it looks like is it looks like you're planning a funeral when the person hasn't died yet. And so, and this is something that I talk to funeral professionals about all the time. Um, Funeral directors often are very focused on the, what we call an at-need funeral, because there's a sequence of things that have to happen in a certain amount of time um, when somebody dies. And that's typically what the profession focuses on, and rightly so. Uh, In the Jewish tradition, we are um, uh, buried or cremated um, or cremated and then buried within 24 hours. Um, in other uh, uh, cultures, it's a week long, you know, um, they, they go into the funeral home and they can't have any other funerals but that one because they go into the funeral home or into the person's home and they are locked in for a week. Um, and so there's a sequence of events when somebody dies. But the thing that I've always uh, promoted is that you're experts at funeral planning. And so you need to look at an advanced funeral plan the same way as uh, a plan when somebody needs it immediately. If I raise my hand and say, I'm 60 years old and I want to plan my funeral in advance, that should be just as important to a funeral professional as somebody calling up and saying, my dad died and I need you to come get him. You know, Now, obviously, the funeral professional has to go through their steps. But when you're prearranging a funeral, you should probably have an idea of, of you know, what type of tribute you want, if any. Um, you should uh, make sure that you know that you don't, there are going to be questions you don't even know you need to ask. So be very open-minded. But but the main place is to, I would say, go out on the uh, internet, which is a great resource. Um, many people don't shop around. I, you know, I, w- I don't like the idea of shopping around. I'd rather somebody go in and talk to somebody and find out what value for value they're getting because you may... A, not know how much it costs, or you may have a budget, you know, but either way, get as many questions answered as you can through resources online. And we hope the Love Always Project is someplace that people can go in addition to funeral home websites or cremation websites and things like that. Um, then uh, you would call a, a funeral professional or somebody that um, that does funeral planning and you'd go in and uh, my idea of creating a funeral plan is to, um, you know, you will 
literally choose everything that you want from the casket to perhaps a vault if you're going to be uh, buried in the earth uh, to a, uh, a, a an urn or some other receptacle if you're going to be uh, cremated and buried or put into a niche or if your cremated remains are kept, you know, by somebody or distributed among, you know, uh, survivors. Uh, I have a little necklace here with my son's remains that I wear all the time. Not all of them, just some of the remains. Um, and my daughter, who uh, lived in Israel for many years, few years anyway, she took some of his cremated remains and took him to, um, because he was in the military, she scattered them at the uh, cemetery, the National Cemetery in Israel and also at the West Wall. So there are some benefits. And and that's the other thing is you should discuss with your funeral professional those kinds of things uh, that you think you might want to do. The other thing is, is talk to your family before you go to the funeral home or after you go to the funeral home and make your final plans so that you can um, ensure that that people not only understand what you want and what amount of control you want, but what they might want and what they're comfortable with. Um, the worst thing that can happen when you don't have a plan is you have some siblings that moved away and there's a sibling that, you know, invariably stays close to home. And when mom or dad start to get old or God forbid something happens sooner than than you would think, um, that person was closer and may have had some discussions. And then big brother and little sister come into town and they all sit down with without a plan and they start arguing and fighting about, you know, what dad would have wanted or not or wouldn't want to have wanted or you get those people who say we're not going to spend this money because you know those are assets that could be left to us i mean it's families some families i mean break they don't see each other ever again or speak ever again after planning a funeral uh because it's that you know contentious and that's you know why that's part of that burden that people say that they want to relieve so you will literally go through the entire plan with the funeral home or as much as you want to go through to make sure that you have, uh, you can choose your merchandise, you can cho choose your manner of disposition, cremation or earth burial. Um, certainly learn all the different things that you can do these days to um, uh, to uh, dispose of, of remains. Uh, the, there are green burials. I mean, it's a, it's a learning experience uh, as well as uh, an experience to make sure that your wishes are written down to the extent that you want them written down and paid for to the extent you want them paid for in advance. Um, so it is, I, I think it's part of any type of financial plan or, or estate plan. And you can literally plan and fund your funeral, you know, as if you were going to die tomorrow because you might knock on wood <laughs> that you won't. Um, so yeah, that's what's absolutely. involved. That's what's involved. I mean, it, it could go from, you know, from soup to nuts. But the the thing is, is that you have to do it so that it reflects you personally and makes you feel comfortable. And then once you do it, it's important to communicate you've done it so that folks know that it's, you know, that it's something you, you've done at possibly as a final love letter to them. Yeah, thanks for going through that. Because I think people have a lot of Voices. They might not even be aware that they exist. All the more reason to be talking about this now. And as we wrap up here, for anyone who is interested in learning more specifically about the Love Always project or getting involved, um, where can they go or what should they do? Well, for me, the best place uh, where they can, I always like to explore and experience things, right? So, um, you know, shameless plug or not shameless plug, lovealwaysproject.org without the the lovealwaysproject.org is where folks should go. 
explore it, look at it. We are, again, we've just started about a year ago. Well, actually in 2022, we started in March of this year. So we're growing the content. We have our forum that you can um, join. All we ask for is an email address. We're not going to bomb you with email. We certainly are not going to solicit you. And we would want you to contribute and participate and check in. We plan to have a newsletter. We plan to expand the forum. We have chat. We plan to expand our grief um, information. And um, I'll be working next year on building a professional network of advisors, funeral directors, whoever, of folks that people can turn to in their communities if they want to know more from the professionals. But they will not be solicited. Again, my bargain uh, with the company is that we want to stay. This is not a lead generator for anybody. It's an awareness generator. And, and that's really, you know, what we want it to be. So if you go to lovealwaysproject.org, you can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, our name is a little bit different depending on the the uh, the channel, but if you type in Love Always Project and you see our little heart logo, you'll know you're at the right place. And we would ask you to participate and um, sh uh, like and share our, our content because this is a grassroots effort and it depends on folks who want to join the movement. And uh, I don't want it to be necessarily a commercial thing uh, because uh, I want to keep it altruistic and, and true to what we're trying to do. Thank you so much, Dean, for sharing your story and sharing the story of the Love Always Project. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Well, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity and best of luck to you. I know that uh, that you're committed to, or at this point in, in your life and your career, you're committed to um, serving um, uh, the elder population. Like veterans, uh, options are getting uh, shorter and shorter in terms of funding and programs and things. It seems to be something that we live longer, we we feel like we're younger, but we still have to deal with the aging effects that we have. It's not going to not happen. And, and I applaud uh, anybody who's moving into that uh, area because it's very, very important. And I'm not just being selfish in saying that because I'm getting old myself. So, Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by ASIC, the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group at the University of Minnesota. Follow Voices of the Aging and ASIC on social media for more information about the episodes and guests on the podcast and to learn more about us as a student group. See you next time.